You are listening to The Holy Backboard on the Sage Digital and Nothing But Net networks. For more on your trailblazers, go to iTunes, search The Holy Backboard, and subscribe today. Let's go! Come on, everybody, and let's get to bumping, cause it's trailblazer time. Baby, Rip City's jumping now! Okay, Brendel up the middle. All right, everybody, welcome to the 135th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in Rip City, and I got my man Sage recovering from what? Yeah, it's such bullshit. I'm sorry. Saints should be in the Super Bowl, not the Rams. These damn refs just fucked us out of uh, our second Super Bowl ring, which, man, I'm trying so hard to be cool with. Like, no, I, I don't. Normally, I don't care about football, but it's the Saints. I've watched this team literally since, like, that's been my team for decades. Like, I, re- I remember watching Aaron Brooks, Deuce McAllister, and Joe Horn run our offense and, you know, like, have guys like Charles Grant and Will Smith. Like, yo, th- I've watched this team forever, and, man, like, normally I don't complain about refs and shit. Normally I'm just cool. I try and let I let let it cook, you know. Refs are part of the game and everything, so there's that human element, but god damn y'all fucked us over so goddamn hard. And we're literally recording twenty minutes after the fact, so like this is all raw emotions of me just being upset. I mean, salute to the Rams. <sighs> y'all did stuff that I think you're your whole scheme and shit is like your risk takers and shit and you don't you you don't run it on fourth and one with your all-star running back you like they did and your quarterback throws scaries that happens to get caught but whatever congratulations to you um i'm just now a uh upset saints fan for the day hopefully hopefully i'll get over it but there's always next year right dude you have seen your team win a Super Bowl. I have not seen my team win shit. At least you have one. Like, you got to put it into perspective. You have, you have, you're basically playing with house money. Every season after that Super Bowl victory, you're playing with house money. I mean, you're talking to someone who has been devastated in 91, 92, 99, 2000, and you can even throw Greg Oden into that shit as well. If if I had seen one, I'll let that roll right off my back because I know I've got a chip that I've witnessed. So I know it sucks now, but you don't know how quickly I would trade positions with someone who has seen their team actually win a championship while I'm living on this earth. Um, you know, you're like up- in uh, 2008, like I was talking to one of my homies and I was like, dog. If I could just see one in my life, I'd be happy. Like, I could die a happy Saints fan. But then when you get it, what you want changes as a sports fan. You know, they the Saints essentially traded their future for this one year. They gave up a first-round pick for a guy named Marcus Davenport that was, like, some people thought he was going to be DeMarcus Ware. Some people thought he was going to be a kind of a stiff-hipped defensive end. And <laughs> I'm kind of going to the second part, but like we we cashed in all the chips, you know. We don't have a first round pick, we don't have a third round pick, so we're kind of going in for this year. But man, it, it's weird. Like 
you know, I thought I was going to be a football analyst for a long time, but now, like, with basketball and football is taking a back seat, but it's like, yo, this is for the Super Bowl. I got to be invested. And then when you're invested and, you know, I felt it. I felt like, oh, shit, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. But we're talking about the team that's third in the West right now, which salute to them for getting to there. So you mentioned the Saints cashed in. They went all in. The Blazers, as you mentioned, 28 and 19, um, just percentage points behind OKC for third. So we're technically in fourth, but we're up there. We're in the fight for home court advantage. We are three games ahead of our pace from last year. And the team finally looks like they're getting consistent production um, out of out of Nurkic. And Sage, I, I want to kind of take these first few minutes to kind of talk about Neil O'Shea, the trade deadline, what the team should do. Should they go? How how in should should this team go? Just knowing, every, I mean, if we lay everything on the line, is this team a legit? Not championship contender because we all saw what the Warriors did as a healthy five unit, but I think this could be their last hurrah. So looking two to three years into the future, is this team someone that other teams don't want to fuck with? Can can they make noise? Um, we saw Neil O'Shea go not all in, but he made a big move in 2014-2015, shipping off T-Rob, Claver, um, Will Barton, and a first which turned out to be Malik Beasley for Aaron Aflalo, a half season of Aaron Aflalo. Will Barton kind of blew up. Malik Beasley turned out to be a pretty nice pick for the Denver Nuggets, and we really never saw Aflalo again. The only bright spot about that was it led to C.J. McCollum's mm-hmm. emergence. So when fans are looking at the Blazers, looking at this team, cooking up trade rumors on the trade machine, uh, there is always that roll of the dice. You might get that first trade with the Nuggets, but you might get uh, a Nurkic and a first-round pick for a Mason Plumley. Uh, trading, I think, is more of an inexact science Absolutely. than the draft because you just don't know how a player is going to react to a new coach, to a new city, to new teammates, to new surroundings, to new situations. Mm-hmm. And there are so many different elements out there that make it such a, a crapshoot. But this team right now, 20-7 and seven at home, they have played the most home games of any team in the NBA. 8-12 and 12 on the road, which if you look at the top eight teams in the West and the top eight teams in the East right now, only the Charlotte Hornets have a worse road record. And the schedule gets incredibly tough on the road, especially February, March. So, yes, we look like we're sitting pretty right now, but the Jazz are coming up hot. The Lakers are going to get LeBron back. And Did you see that Lonzo's out for a month? Yes, Lonzo's out, Capella's out as well. So there are injuries, you know, knock on wood, nothing happens to our boys. But a two, three, four game losing streak and you're out of the playoff mm-hmm. picture. And there's a lot of road games. So all of that considered, what should the Blazers do? The trade deadline is two and a half weeks away. Everyone's already talking about the Blazers as being a buyer. We've heard it from uh, the Ringer podcast, Kevin O'Connor. We've heard Zach Lowe. Um, we, we have heard everyone talk about the Blazers are a buyer. I think to me, if Neil O'Shea does not come correct, he is gone. I mean, he will literally be fired. I really believe the Blazers are going to make a trade. It feels I think Damian Lillard might call him out in, in, in the in the postseason um, exit interviews. If, if shit hits the fan and he's like, well, we didn't get any help mm. and we didn't do shit last year at the deadline 
and we all felt like we were kind of making moves and we knew we had that home heavy stretch at the end of last year, which helped for that 13 game win streak this year. It's kind of the opposite. We got to go out on the road and be road warriors. So Sage, what, what are you doing? If, if you're Neil, what positions are you looking to upgrade? Are you looking to hit a grand slam or just a couple of singles? And what does this team need? Well, I think that with CJ, he is like our one big asset to make a trade. And I'm totally cool with trading him. Like, he hasn't been the CJ McCollum of old. There's many reasons for it. But, you know, he just hasn't produced like he has. He could do. I don't particularly want to trade him for Aaron Gordon and Terrence Ross. Just because I think Aaron Gordon's just as unpredictable with, uh, like, his productions as CJ is like, of course he's going to have the rebounding safe side, but like scoring is really weird for Aaron Gordon. I'd looked, I I'm going to watch more of his games as like this week. Cause I, we have MLK day off. So I'm going to, I'm going to at least do some stuff and watch Aaron Gordon. But it's like, even in plus matchups, he doesn't do well, but in matchups where it's like, Oh, this, he probably will get shut down. He does well. So it's a very weird thing with Aaron Gordon. But if you're looking for, if Neil O'Shea is looking for that archetype, yo, I'd rather us go for Blake Griffin than Aaron Gordon. I know the salary's crazy, but at least we get production consistently. Blake is putting up numbers that like only LeBron, Magic, and Oscar are putting up like 25, 8, and 5. Like, dude's doing, playing fantastic. So if we're going Grand Slam, I would go Blake Griffin. If we're going to hit some singles, why don't we, uh, like, try and prove that three in the four. I mean, there's an argument to be made that Al has gone because I don't think we're going to be willing to pay him. So why not get something for him? Maybe a future first. Maybe help us improve now. I there's a lot of ways you can go, but if we're going home run, I want Blake Griffin over Aaron Gordon. So... Yeah, I, we went to the the game on Friday together, and I was kind of talking to you. And somebody on Sports Two mentioned a lot of players post Orlando tend to break out. I mean, we're talking um, Victor Oladipo, Tobias Harris, guys uh, of that nature tend to play better in better systems. So Orlando Magic have been in a ten year feels like a perpetual rebuild. They, they have not once had a point guard probably since Jameer Nelson. They've failed to address that huge need. And I think, especially in today's NBA, when I think the point guard talent pool is as deep as it's ever been, you need a floor general, whether he's going to be a score first or a pass first, you still need that solid production from your lead guard, your lead ball handler. He is the one initiating all of the offense and basically dictating how the game is, is going to go. So Aaron Gordon is a guy who whose game is predicated on guys getting him the ball. The way I've seen Yusuf Nurkic pass the ball out of the high post, we know Dame is willing to take a backseat if guys get hot and find guys the open, um, open shot. And begrudgingly, Evan Turner, to an extent, can get guys involved as well. I think there is an opportunity for Aaron Gordon to flourish in Portland, I think a f- defensive front court with him and Nurkic is athletic. It's suffocating, and we don't have to rely on Alperukaminu to try and defend Anthony Davis. I'm not saying Aaron Gordon is um, a first-team all defense, but he's still young and he has a lot of potential. And I'm on the fence, on record, 
CJ and whatever for Ross and Gordon. I don't think he'd be the worst trade in the world. I definitely would not throw in a first. But this is what I was talking about earlier about the trade being a crapshoot. You don't know how Aaron Gordon is going to respond to the city of Portland, to Terry Stotts, to Damian Lillard's leadership, to actually being in a structured system, actually being in a playoff chase, playing meaningful games. This dude has never once played a meaningful game in his NBA career. How is he going to respond to that type of pressure? Um, On the other hand, how will the Blazers respond to not – now all of a sudden you've got 20 to 25 shots to dispense throughout the rest of the team. So that could – and we've seen that before across all NBA teams. When a star player goes out, usually role players tend to pick it up because they know the responsibilities on them. They know they're getting more shots. They're preparing for it. Well, if you remove CJ's 20 shots a night, you know Nurk's going to get a little bit of an uptick, um, hopefully Jake, and then whoever you bring in. I mean, there's three to four shots for five guys to get, and now they're starting to get into a little bit more of a rhythm. So I think from a pure talent standpoint, Portland may take a step back in the immediate. I think Aaron Gordon has potential to be better in the long run. But also in the immediate, I think Portland as a team could get better because we have talked about ad nauseum the fit between Dame and CJ just it, it it's not working right now they're both ball dominant they both need the um they both need to put up a lot of shots to kind of have an impact on the game you know Dame does have those nights where he's a facilitator but his bread and butter is getting to the bucket getting to the foul line and then looking to to facilitate so i think it does make us stronger as a team but in my opinion it's a moot point. I would be floored if Neil O'Shea traded CJ McCollum at the deadline. Um, I've told you, um, I've told the trailcasters, a few other people, if the Blazers do end up trading CJ, I, I think it's if we go out of the playoffs yet again in the first round and we see, okay, this is year, what, four uh, mm. of this experiment. It's it's clearly not working. Let's wait till the off season And get the most the- possible for him. Exactly, and you also because you don't you take bargains. You're taking a bargain on trading CJ right now, unless it's for one of those like a Blake Griffin or a I don't want Kevin Love because of contract, but like that kind of star. Like you're taking a you're taking less for what you could potentially get for CJ if he picks his gets better numbers. Um, what about that Tayshon? Oh, Torian Prince, excuse me, Torian Prince, Jeremy Lin type of deal. Where you trade Mo and a first and get those two. I mean, you know why I'm Torian Prince has been kind of my guy right now, and mm-hmm. he's another buy low type of prospect. Yeah. He's behind DeAndre Bembry, uh Kevin Herter. Um in Atlanta, he's coming off of an injury and is just now getting back in, into that. Sixteen minutes is yeah. what his limit is right now. I would love to get I mean, he is the classic three and D. I think he's another player who Get him into some structure. Get him into a system where you're playing alongside Dame, CJ, and Nurk. Yeah, John Collins is nice, but nobody's afraid of anybody on that Hawks roster. People are afraid and game plan about mm-hmm. Yusuf Nurkic and Damian Lillard. He is going to get open opportunities. And to a certain extent, it's almost like when we brought in Alfred Aminu in the free agency in the summer of 2015. Uh, he was coming off of a hot playoff and... That's exactly what happened. He got more open opportunities, and he he's inconsistent, but his numbers have upticked. His three point his three point percentage is very respectable, and was is the highest it's ever been at any point in in his career um, as a Portland Trailblazer. I could see the same type of impact 
with Torian Prince, but I think he has uh, a little bit higher ceiling. Um, I also just am ready to move away from playing uh, a smaller four. I, I, I think we watched the game against the Pelicans and credit to Terry Stotts and the, the staff for actually double teaming mm-hmm. AD. But I mean, heaven forbid you go up against the Pelicans again in a seven game series. Uh, I don't like my chances uh, with a small man up against Anthony Davis. Uh, so that's just something that the Blazers are going to have to forecast. And and there's a lot of talented bigs out there. Like you mentioned, John Collins, Vucevic, there's a lot of skilled big men. Like the 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 four or five, whatever you want to call it, that that big guy. There's a lot of talented. There's a lot of talented players playing every night. So if we really want to match a smaller guy against you know two, a very good power forward or center, whatever it is, it's it's kind of scary. I wouldn't mind him as our bench guy, but I don't think Terry's gonna do that just because he's been our his guy for so long. So you mentioned Blake Griffin, and his age concerns me a bit, especially a player who, at least early in his career, was predicated on athleticism. He has had multiple injuries, and he has a ginormous contract. I would not trade CJ McCollum for him. If we are looking to acquire Blake, I would rather use Zach and like Evan Turner to fill that give him a pick like see if you can do a salary relief and a little bit of young talent for him. And to me, that would be cashing it in because I look at the Detroit Pistons and they're they're 20 and 25 they're, they're ninth in the the Eastern Conference a conference that really only has five teams and yeah you mentioned he's putting up numbers but they, they should be better I mean <laughs> yo they got all the Reggies Bruce Brown's playing like 35 minutes per they don't have guards for shit so, like, Blake Griffin has to be, like, the de facto point guard unless you want Reggie Jackson running point for you. And it's like, man, he'll never get a, he'll never have a good game of points and assists. It's either or. Man, yeah, I've been watching the Pistons just because of Daily Fantasy, and I I like how Blake's playing. But I could see there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot of cons to it. It's not like a he's not a perfect player, the age. But he has turned into a legitimate, like, skilled basketball player he's not plummeted every time he's he's doing a lot of good things offensively and he's he's balling right now so does a dame cj jake blake nurk lineup do anything for you dude absolutely man like <laughs> that, that that's three superstars or you know three potential all-stars you is know there, i don't think this- nurk will ever be popular enough but like that's three really good players, and then CJ can do his thing. Jake, <laughs> yo, we watched him against New Orleans. There's that Steph Curry like explosiveness with him. I I would take that in a second, bro. On a scale of one to ten, ten being extremely confident, one being not at all. What does Neil O'Shea do? How how confident are you that he gets a trade done by February seventh? That's gonna help us like tremendously just a trade oh a trade in general i'd say about 75 percent. actually i'd move that to 90 percent. he's making a trade of some sort something that like the trailblazer fans will fuck with a lot less but i think he will make a trade it's just like is it getting a game changer is it trading fucking seth curry and alfa rukaminu for courtney lee in a first i have a feeling he's gonna be one of a trade like that then you know, we're getting Blake or we're 
getting Aaron Gordon or fucking Chris Middleton or whatever trade, you know, a lot of people have in their minds. I think it could be something like, oh, we'll 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 take that first pick for an extra year of Courtney Lee's salary and you know, maybe next year we'll be able to attack the draft. So you think we're more likely to make a trade for salary relief than an upgrade in talent? Man, a lot of things have to go right for upgrade in talent. Whereas I think that trade I just made up, I think that will be there till the very last second of that deadline. So I, I think there's that ease of access of making that that smaller trade. Whereas like, man, you, there's a lot of luck. You have to beat other teams for the services of an elite prospect or a player. So the Trailblazers only have six games until the trade deadline. They play the Spurs, which would be their seventh, actually on trade deadline day. So the time, the clock is ticking for the Blazers to make a move. There's there's not a lot more opportunities for them to, to showcase any pieces. I think what they have, other teams are aware of. Um, you mentioned a really good point that I think a lot of our listeners should be aware of is – a lot of times these GMs are talking and they can agree to a move, but it's more of a contingency move. Like, mm-hmm. okay, let's do this deal. I'm trying to work on something else, but you know, if you get something better, by all means take it. But we have the parameters set up a Blazers Knicks trade. If nothing go- else goes, we'll, this is our backup deal. Like that's why you, mm-hmm. that's why teams wait so long to make moves and you see them all happening around the same time is because they're always working to get the best deal possible throughout multiple teams. But in the process of that, you're setting up deals along the way, almost as option A, B, C, D, and E, etc. So here's an example of that uh, with the New Orleans Pelicans. When they were trading for Boogie, the uh, the uh, the deal that the shit at the time Atlanta Hawks and the New Orleans Pelicans agreed to was Dwight Howard going to New Orleans for like two first round picks, essentially. So yeah, there are contingency deals like that. Like man. I, I have a feeling that Neil O'Shea is on the phone cons- constantly trying to make a trade. It's just, is it going to be Blake Griffin or is it going to be Courtney Lee? You know, it, it's a huge, that, that's, that's the game is, is what our deal to get that elite talent going to beat 29 other teams that are in the services for that player. Okay. So if you were Neil, what would you do? Would you, how, how far in are you pushing your chips? Man, I don't want to be a slave to bias or recency bias because Zach Collins has looked atrocious the last while. But I would be like CJ and I'd be willing to trade a lot for a star player right now. I would too. I think Dame and Nurk are your untouchables and I think you try to find I, a- I would honestly be willing to trade Nurk if it got me a super, super duper star. Oh, absolutely, but yeah. I don't think yeah, I don't, I don't think, think that's yeah. there's no Kawhi's, there's no Paul George's on the market right now. Jimmy Butler's not getting moved. So if I'm taking that type of player off of them, obviously I'm trading CJ and Nurk to get Anthony Davis, but they're gonna wait on Anthony Davis until the the offseason. If I am Neil Walshay, I am talking to people and I'm saying anybody but Dame or Nurk. We're talking multiple picks, we're talking anything else. Zach, CJ, anyone is on the table. And the reason I'm willing to do that is 
to me, Damian Lillard is a top 10 NBA player. Yusuf Nurkic is the top five NBA center. I mean, he just racked up a triple-double. He's playing the best basketball of his career. He's expanding his offensive um, repertoire. His passing has been incredible. Um, and he's still young. I mean, I think Dame, Nurk, and another all-star caliber player, that makes you the, that makes you the second best team in the West this year. And who knows? Kevin Durant may leave. And then you're fighting the Warriors to to represent the the West in, in the in the finals. Like that's how close I feel the the Blazers are, and I think a lot of teams feel that they're that close. I think the Thunder feel that they're that close. I mean, Houston once once they get healthy, Utah starting to come um, up really hot, and Denver obviously once they get Isaiah Thomas back and Gary Harris is fully healthy. That team's going to be a force to be reckless. So there's a lot of teams really p- trying to break through that ceiling, and there's there's two domino there's two dominoes that 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 have to happen. One is the trade deadline. Who is going to get the most bang for their buck? And the second one, it's Kevin Durant. Like it or not, he is a huge domino that affects the entire landscape of the National Basketball Association. If he goes east, that makes the West. Even if Boogie stays. That makes the West a completely wide open game. And I think you're going to see parity like the levels of the NFL. So uh, thinking of it as uh, Neil Olshay, there's only 30 GM jobs. There's only 30 like head and GM jobs in the NBA. So it, it it's a pretty tough to get that position. So you're going to want to try and fight for it. I think that he could definitely make a trade now. And give up those future picks because if that shit fails, he's not going to be in charge of it anyway. So you might as well try and make something for the now and hopefully in the future. But like he has no incentive to think ahead. He has all the incentive of the world to try and save his job because there's only 30 of these things in the world. So it's like I could definitely see him try and swing for the fences for a Grand Slam. Uh, I'd be in favor of it because we need talent. I I think I might be talking myself into like he's taking a bit. It's a better chance that it's going to be one of those big, big boy deals than just a small. Like. Well, the, the calendar flipped to 2019. Damian Lillard is turning 29 years old this summer. He is entering the prime of his mm-hmm. career, and that window three to four years. Mm-hmm. For a, a fucking number 15 pick, number 24 pick in the 2021, that that shit shit isn't going to matter for Dame. It's not going to matter for this team. And this team only goes as far as Dame goes. If you're committed to winning around Damian Lillard, you need to put the best pieces forward. And I'm not saying go after an aging star like uh, Kevin Love or a fucking Paul Millsap or or Al Horford or or someone like that. I mean, we're talking players who either have potential to be extremely good like Aaron Gordon, are extremely good like Blake Griffin, or they're in that sweet spot like Nurk. They're already really good now. And they're still 25, 26 years old. So it's not like we're going to try to become an aging team. Yeah, we're but... not trading our future three picks for Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce. That's exactly. not the type of shit we're doing. But I would be willing to do that type of deal for a guy that's good, great now and could be great into the future. I think I think we're on the same page. And yeah, I, I, like I said, the, the, the clock... The clock is ticking, and uh, I'm getting kind of antsy because the, it's to me the West outside of Golden State. So I'm saying the two through the two seed essentially 
that's up for grabs. Mm-hmm. Two, three seed, like it's there. Will the Blazers take a chance and actually try to make a move? I'm I'm tired of hearing about the summer of 2016 hampering this franchise. We clearly have pieces we can move. Um, Dame and Yerk are good enough to get us out of the first round. Like I just want to be a competitive basketball team. So do you think come the postseason? I mean, Neil O'Shea, whoever the GM is in the future, could honestly talk about like, yeah, the there. It's hard for us to get elite talent because it's the Portland's. This is Blake Griffin is our free agent for this year. We traded for him early so we can get used to being with Damon CJ or Damon Nurk. Is there a chance that like that's going to be the narrative that's drawn from the Blazers is is when they make the trade? This is our free agency and our trade deadline. This guy's that good. It it has to be because if you do go after a guy like Blake Griffin and you keep CJ's salary on the books. If you take on salary past 2020, if you're not able to shed salary this summer, that player has to be good enough for you to say, yeah, he's better than what we feel like we can get in the free agent market. Because do you think Pascal is going to leave Toronto to come to Portland after, you know, the success he's seen with Toronto or, you know, that guy's, I I mean, I'd be willing to take the bet on Blake Griffin. Yeah. And that's another thing is like, you can't, you can't ever try to go all i mean it's it's a big enough risk to try and woo an unrestricted free agent but to go after a restricted free agent i think is and that be your plan a i think that's downright just batshit crazy like mm-hmm. that is so that 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 gives me the, the willies like that would be the, the worst idea in the world is to go all in on a restricted free agent because you are not in control you need to be in some control when your option is, when that is your number one option. I mean, it seems like the Blazers need to make a trade, but like there are options, but I think making a trade is probably the best option you can take to, for the success of the franchise. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think saying the Blazers can't lure a big name free agent has merit, but on the other hand, I think all it takes is the right person in charge and I'll go back to the Oregon Ducks. You had Scott Frost, Mark Helfrich basically saying you can't recruit to Eugene, Oregon, not like on an, on a yearly basis. You can't get in that top 10. Well, the new coaching staff led by Mario Cristobal had them as a number five recruiting class. They're number eight right now. Um, They're getting players out of Florida's backyard, you know, Georgia, California, Texas, like, they're just picking them up left and right. And I think it comes with an attitude. And so I do think there is a way to get players to Portland, but you have to have the right person selling mm-hmm. the city and the franchise to that player. Is it a difficult task? Absolutely. Absolutely. But uh, is it I Neil is it, Neil O'Shea and Damian Lillard the the two that you see that can recruit? I think Dame is, but is Dame Neil. Is. Yeah, I, it could be Neil. I mean that that's that's what we need to find out. And I think this is his last audition. Like, I don't think the fan base is, you know, his approval rating in Portland is extremely low. And if he trots out another trade where we give up a player just for salary relief, like last year, uh, you know, he's not going to hear the end of that. Like he can't, he has to come correct this time. Blazer fans have had enough 
is uh, this we, the free uh, is this the trade deadline pod or do we have another podcast to talk about all this stuff no this is just what's happening in the week of the blazers like this is because if it yo man, like I, I think next week there's gonna be a lot of trade talk as well man like, i mean that's what i lo- that's what i get amped up talking about i know that's what the listeners like uh when i worked with the blazers anytime there was a trade rumor and we posted it um through the forums that would drive clicks like crazy oh absolutely um, I, this is my, one of my favorite days of the year trade deadline day. So as soon as we get like T minus three weeks, we're going all in and it, it's nice to be able to talk about it because the team is performing, you know, pretty well. Um, two and two week, uh, the Blazers again, lost two games on the road, a heartbreaking 116, 113 defeat at Denver, um, followed it up with kind of a clunker 115, 107 loss game was not as close as it was indicated mm-hmm. uh, against the Kings. Bounced back, beat the Cavaliers by 17, 129-112. And then you or I were there in person to watch the Jake Lehman experience as he kind of like went into outer space, um, just was in another orbit right now, another planet. Uh, Blazers blew out the Pelicans, 128-112. Sage, what were some of the the best things that you saw over I mean, that, Jake that week of basketball? Jake Lehman, dog, like, man, it honestly felt like he could not miss and for for that like five like that short time you felt what it was like to have steph curry just bombing it on fools like of course there was julius randall not playing good defense but like after a while the pelicans put Drew Holiday, the best defender in the fucking galaxy, on Jake Lehman because of how good he was. That's insane, the amount of respect uh, Ehrman and Gentry put on Jake Lehman that time. I wonder if, like, if opposing coaches put respect on Jake Lehman, how come Terry Stott doesn't put that same respect on the man? I mean, you're absolutely right. I put out a poll on the Holy Backboard um, Twitter account and asking, you know, should Jake remain the starting small forward even after Mo returns in 79%? Like, absolutely. Um, I hope Terry Stotts does not give him the Noah Vonley, uh, Thomas Robinson treatment because he scored 20 points in the first half and played three minutes that, in the second half. Yo, that 20, minute, that 20 points was the game. If he, if, if let's say Harkless was playing that, do you really think the Pelicans would have switched everything to defend Mo Harkless? everything like put the best defender on mo arkless absolutely not he would have been on dame like there's a reason <laughs> that jake Lehman was getting matched up on drew holiday man like that dude was fucking amazing it was amazing to watch you know there was part of me that was like damn it i have you know it's against the pelicans that sucks but like yo you expected every three to go in and that doesn't happen with Mo Harkless. That never happens with Mo Harkless, where he takes five threes in the course of like three minutes, and you expect all five to go in, even when like Drew Holiday's guarding him and Anthony Davis is hedging hard, jumping at that shot, and it goes in. Come on, man. Jake Lehman was amazing this week, or against the Pelicans in that that stretch. You you said it. The Pelicans had to respect Jake Lehman. They put their best defender on Jake Lehman. Let those, Tim Frazier be on Dame. Those two things right there make life easier for Damian Lillard. 
because we all saw what happened in the postseason last year. They threw the kitchen sink at Dame and they begged Chief Aminu to shoot that three. You think Dame has a better series if, if we have a three-point shooter out there and he's getting to cook against Alfred Payton and you know Tim Frazier? Absolutely. And there's also a guy, CJ McCollum, on the other wing ready to cook as well. And that, to me, made all of the difference in the world. So I was a little surprised that, you know, Stotts didn't start Zach Collins just because I think he's a better fit against the Pelicans. Um, but, you know, Mino did hit his first two threes, ended up shooting four of 12 from the night. But that again, it didn't matter because thankfully we got production out of Jake. But that game, in a nutshell, showed why the Trailblazers need to surround Damian Lillard with legit three-point shooters and not just hope and pray that Chief Aminu's threes are going to go in. Because some nights they are and some nights they aren't. And over the course of a seven-game series, you need consistency, not just, uh, maybe. Mm-hmm. That, uh, maybe shit. That, I mean, that, that, that's, that, that, that is why, you know, we got swept, man. I mean, the Pelicans had a great game plan, drew it up perfectly, and executed, and, you know, the the release valve was after Camino, and sometimes he played well, and sometimes he absolutely didn't. But if, like, Jake Lehman or a shooter was out there, shit would be different. It's just the respect factor that Lehman showed in that game, man. Like, <laughs> when you get 15 points shoved, shoved in your eye in, like, the course of a few minutes... Man, it makes you make some really drastic changes. Yeah, and, you know, another aspect that I really liked last week was CJ's game against the Pelicans. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought, to me, one of his top three performances of the year, 20 points, six rebounds, three assists, two steals. But the most important factor, only 12 field goal attempts. He hits eight Mm -hmm. of them. I know we're not going to get 67% out of CJ on a nightly basis, but if he can shoot over 50% and take under 15 field goals, Portland is going to win more times than not because Dame's going to get to the line. He's going to do his thing. We know Nurk has been a beast down low. It's that games where CJ takes 25 shots and only hits six that we don't have a chance to win the ball game. And I think that was a huge reason why you know, we kind of lost against the Denver Nuggets because he had in, you know, he had a pretty shitty night, seven of 19 for, for only 18 points. You know, Nurk didn't come come correct either. He got into early foul trouble. But CJ, to me, is key with this team. I think the two biggest X factors for me right now are, are we going to get any sort of production out of the bench and how efficient is CJ McCollum going to be? Mm-hmm. And I also really have been uh liking the shots cj was taking against the cavaliers and the nuggets um a lot less dribbling more just one move shot one move pass like a lot of more quicker decisions and uh th- that steal and jam i i think hopefully got got his groove back because uh that shit worried i mean man <laughs> yo that was ballsy dog you had you had drew holiday fucking in chase mode there too and in, like if if he didn't dunk it that was getting blocked into fucking beaverton bro <laughs> he had to have dunked that bro if he laid that out finger rolled that that was getting blammed the other direction bro man that yo that that was pretty cool to see C- cj do that shit man um 
Another thing that I liked from this past week was Yusuf Nurkic and his ability to pass the ball. I thought he has really honed his craft and was earlier in the season would, would make a great pass, but then also would start to force it. I think he's starting to find his rhythm of when and where to throw the ball. Um, the, the alley-oop to, to Lehman against the Pelicans, um, shit, that was shades of Marcus Canby throwing lobs, you know, to LaMarcus Aldridge and, and Nick Batum. Um, if we can get that type of high-low action with our bigs, like to me, I want Nurk to be a threat on the perimeter as a facilitator rather than a shot maker. And I want him to be a shot maker down low. And I think that's really what we're getting from him. And, you know, it kind of paid, paid dividends and finally came full circle. He flirted so much with that triple double, uh, the first blazer to get a triple double since Nick Batum. And I think 2014 or 2015, he had 10, 10 and 10 along with five blocks only on six shots against the Cavs. And, um, He's been playing some incredible basketball, and I know we got into that early foul trouble against the Nuggets, which we said was going to be a major factor, Um, and he also took some bad shots against the Kings. Um, That's when he was shooting those jumpers late in the game, but when he has a a great night and sticks to what he knows best, which is passing from the perimeter and beasting down low, Portland is a very difficult team to beat, so if we're going to take our talents on the road— I really think it's we're going to have to lean on on Damon Nurk and then hopefully somebody else picks it up. But those two guys, you know, they have to play well. When teams out west win on the road, it's because their superstars bring it, and we need our big we need our you know big guns to just to do what they do. I think Nurk has matured as a passer because throughout his year, his career, he's been a turnover monster. He really has, and a lot of it has been off those like joker type passes but i think now it's he still he still loves doing it but now he'll like oh that shit isn't there i'm going to pull it back which is important like before it was just like i'm forcing this regardless of anything else and like sometimes it 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 was beautiful and then sometimes it just went out of bounds and the other team got the ball like I think he's maturing as a basketball player, but at, a lot of it is through his passing. Because man, I I don't see the like three turnovers in two minutes type of thing from Nurk anymore. Those that's what I was, you know, noticing as well. Because when we first got him, you were saying he was kind of a a turnover machine, and he's I think slowly but surely refined what a good pass looks like so you know big ups to nurk i think he's really made um the leap this year and to me this is more impactful than anything that the nurk fever kind of looked like and again we're gonna need him to sustain it as we take the the show on the road and continue to fight for home court advantage and and sage we didn't get to this last week but you know obviously we got to bring him back the dribble pass and shoot so dribble pass shoot, the Blazers will end up with a top four seed come playoff time. If everyone stays healthy. Yes, that's okay, the caveat. Okay, okay. Yes, I do I I'll I'll take that shot. I think luckily we haven't really dealt with any injuries this year and it's helped us. I mean, I know Mar- Mo Harkless, but like that's really the only one and no superstars. I think if health if we stay healthy Everybody has dealt with a major injury. We haven't. 
I think that's an advantage. And then, yo, we have top five player, the Nurk, and uh, yeah, I, I I would say we'd be, get a home court advantage in a series. Hmm. I don't I don't know I don't like outside of Golden State, who scares you, Doug? Like, no nobody scares me. So here's why. Right now, I'm gonna pass on that. As I said, we played the most home games of any team. We've only played 20 on the road. Um, ever since starting, ever since we started out three and one on the road, we're five and eleven That's away from trash. away from Portland. Um, yes, we recent road victories include the, the Clippers about a month ago and the Golden State Warriors. But had Dame not gone, gone, you know, hero mode, we're looking at you know a three game losing streak on the road we just have so many road games coming up there is a seven game eastern conference trip oh that's gonna in, be brutal. in february march um i still am not certain that i think terry stotts is gonna fuck with jake layman's confidence one way or another by pumping him in and out of the lineup with, with mo harkless i think he needs to say jake you played well enough you're gonna start regardless um Role players play best when they know their role, and again, I haven't seen a trade. If we make a trade, then then I might feel then we have confident. to readdress this conversation. Yeah. Yes, but for right now, the way the team is currently constructed, I love Damon Nurk. Everybody else, you just don't know what you're going to get. I'm going to have to pass. I, I I'm thinking five or six, maybe even seven. Um, I think we're making the playoffs. Help. Yes. Yeah. I think yeah, we yeah. make the playoffs. Um, I do think it's at least the seventh seed. What worries me is that road-heavy schedule and our inability to win on the road. So, you know, hopefully we have a chance this week to kind of uh, put that put that uh, storyline to rest. But as of now, I'm going to to pass that um, dribble, pass, or shoot, Sage. The New Orleans Pelicans are going to make the playoffs. Ooh, that's a tough one, man. If you gave me more time, I would give you a better answer uh not what your heart thinks what does your head say i don't know man that's tough man they have the ability to i don't think they will that's tough but yeah i mean they have the ability but they do i mean i mean if you if they played their best ball they would obviously yeah Healthy, they are a dangerous team, but then Anthony Davis is out one they, to two weeks with that sprained finger. They've I mean, never just, been healthy this year. Yeah, it's. I mean, yo, it's it's tough because like they drafted him in 2012, 2013 kind of sucked, but whatever, whatever. But they've had like good teams that just been derailed by injuries. I remember, uh, I remember when they had Tyreek Evans, Eric Gordon, Drew Holiday, Ryan Anderson, AD. Uh, they played like. 300 minutes together in the four years that they were together man it's just it it sucks seeing you know what what could have been go away because of injuries and it sucks but yeah hopefully they make a good trade get a humongous haul and are rebuilding really quick what do you think yeah, I'll 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 pass on that one as well. I, I I don't I don't foresee the Pelicans making the playoffs. I think they have a top eight roster. 
mm-hmm. in the league. But as you mentioned, they're awful on the road, have not been able to stay healthy. And, you know, only four back in the loss column right now, but losing AD, I think, is going to to be tough. You know the Lakers are getting LeBron back one way or another. The Jazz have a home-heavy schedule coming up, so I think they are they're entrenched. I mean, we look at the, the teams out west, Golden State lock, Denver lock, OKC lock, Portland, I would say a lock. lock. Houston, they're not going to miss it. Utah, they're not going to miss it. They're six right there. Mm-hmm. I am not sold on San Antonio, the Clippers, the Lakers. Um, I'm not sold on on those those three teams, but right now they've got a four or five game cushion and their star players Hopefully. outside of the Lakers. Yeah. They're not hurt. So, and I'm really never going to count a team with LeBron out of the playoffs. So I'll, I'll say the Lakers are a lock. So then you're looking at one spot and it's between San Antonio, the Clippers, um, Timberwolves, Kings, Pelicans. I mean, there's just the Dallas Mavericks I and mean, there's just a lot of teams and you don't really get any off nights in the Western conference. So um, if they make it, I think it'll be the eight, eight. seed. Mm-hmm. But I just think it's going to be a heavy, heavy hill to climb. Can I say a hot take? Hot take. If they get a humongous haul, I think they do better than when Anthony Davis was on the team. I mean, wait, wait, what? So huge haul for trading Anthony Davis. Mm -hmm. I think they do better as a team. I mean, AD is great. AD is probably one of the most transcendent players ever. But with. This new form of NBA where it's guard heavy, AD is not as valuable as he would have been like five, ten years ago. So I think you know if they get like a humongous haul that that game changing haul that they probably are gonna get, man, they might make the playoffs more. <laughs> Which is it's it sucks to say, but guards really run this league. So I know you've been thinking about it, and you're obviously a huge Pelican fan. What team do you think can put together the best offer and follow up? What would it take for you as a fan to say, okay, this is a fair trade for Anthony Davis from that team? I think it's Philly or Boston. And who do they have that you would want? I think I think Gordon Hayward has to be involved if it's Boston. I think <sighs> probably Terry Rozier, Jalen J- and four picks, or... Uh, Shit, who's the other one? Who's the Tatum. Tatum and two picks? Suck. It sucks thinking this. It really does because I'd much, I'd much rather be Team AD. But you know, like as his eight years with New Orleans is might be coming to a close, man. You got to think about it. I mean, if he's if he's like, oh, I'll stay if you make these trades. Fuck yeah, we're making these trades, but. Man, it's tough, man. When you you have the guy that's eligible for supermax, but I don't think he's he's about it, man. Like I think legacy means more, and he's making plenty of money. Who does Philly have that you'd want? I think Ben Simmons, a few the, a few picks, and I think Wilson has to be involved. I think Ben has to be involved, and then just give us a shitload of picks. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it sucks, but. So you were talking about Anthony Davis. So dribble, pass, or shoot, another all-star caliber player. Bradley Beal is the best all-star player currently available. Do you think he's available, right though? Deadline. Yes, absolutely. I think With how shitty they have been, I don't know. It's tough because I think if fans didn't exist, he's 
traded. But since they exist and it's a thing and it's a big, I don't. I think the fans would rage if he got traded. What, the Wizards have fans. That that would be new to me. <laughs> I remember my brother telling me that like the Blazers Wizards like in 2012 were the cheapest tickets ever in Wizards history. Like, yeah, the, they have fans, absolutely. And I don't think they would feel really good about them trading Bradley Beal. But if like if it was NBA 2K, he's gone. I I'm gonna shoot that. I think he's available. I think the Wizards aren't doing themselves any favor in that market. It's always going to be um, an NFL town until mm. basketball picks back up. Um, the Capitals just won the Stanley Cup. Nats uh, are good. Maybe the not Na- now. The Nats, the Nats have been good. They may be getting Bryce Harper back. I mean, it's it's a four-team town. Like, you being an also-ran in the Eastern Conference, um, strapped to that John Wall contract. That was the worst contract ever. They need to move off of Bradley Beal. They need and to probably Otto Porter. Will. And Otto, like, people give Neil O'Shea a lot of crap. I mean, the deals that they, bringing in Trevor Reza and d- dishing out Kelly Oubre, like, that's... Jan Mihimi to that contract? That's galaxy brain bullshit. Like, Ernie Grunfeld is just, mm. I mean, yeah. if, we're looking to, if we're looking to fleece a team like the new Billy King, head up, call up DC. I think you can find something. Well, uh, uh, so... You know, I, I, you know, I need to get Blazers contacts because this shit's crazy. Me just talking New Orleans shit. Uh, apparently, according to some people in New Orleans, like they're willing to move Bradley Beal. It's just like I think they're worried about their fans. Like, it, and I think New Orleans offered like Julius Randle picks, each one more. It's not that much, so. I think we could beat that trade if we really wanted to if they're the Blazers. But would you want to move him to the three? No, not like I, I was texting you, just hypothetical shit. Like, okay, we make the the CJ for Aaron Gordon trade. Okay. But then is it possible to move Zach Collins, two unprotected picks, um, you know, Chiefs uh, un- expiring. Uh, expiring deal, and maybe Steph's, just Hitler Seth's for, yeah. for, for Beal? I mean, then you're looking at Dame, Beal, Lehman, Gordon, and, and Nurk, and fuck yeah, I'm going all in on that roster. Um, but that's some 2K shit right there. Yeah. But if, if that was hypothetically available, yes, absolutely. Every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Mm. I don't know, man. Bradley Beal would be fun on this team. Like, earlier this year, I thought, like, you look at the stats, and it's like, yo, he's just like CJ, scoring dependent, and you know, he doesn't get rebounds or assists, but now that Wall's out, it's like, oh, he can play make. He actually can play make pretty well, and it's not the best defense in the world, but he can play defense, and he gets rebounds. You know, he got a triple-double this year. He actually is better than CJ. But. All right, let's take a quick break from our sponsors, then dig into this week's slate of games. You are listening to The Holy Backboard on the Sage Digital and Nothing But Net networks. For more on your trailblazers, go to iTunes, search The Holy Backboard, and subscribe today. All right, everybody, welcome back to The Holy Backboard podcast. Dustin and Sage here, ready to dive in to a huge, away heavy slate of games for our trailblazers. Monday, Tuesday, back-to-back Utah and OKC. Thursday against the Suns, and then Saturday against the Woeful Hawks before some much-needed time off 
Uh, our next game's not till Wednesday, January 30th against the Jazz. So another three games and four nights on the road. Then you followed up with the Hawks at home. Sage, let's kind of go through these games like we did last week. What's the next factor you're looking at? Give me your prediction. Let's start it off with the Utah Jazz, a team that had Portland's number in late December. On the 21st, they beat us by 30 in Portland. On Christmas night, they beat us by 21 in Utah. We play them again twice in nine days starting tomorrow. Uh, we split two and two with them last year. So, you know, does this thinking say we get two and two again this year? I mean, obviously it has to start uh, tomorrow in Utah. This is a team that is 25 and 21. They have a ton of home games coming up. They were kind of left for dead in the Western Conference. Uh, Quinn Snyder did an amazing thing. He held Donovan Mitchell accountable, benched him for a few minutes, made him see the game from the bench. Brought him back. He's been playing a lot of point guard yep. for this team. With Rubio and out and Nato out. It seems to have kind of clicked. His sophomore slump is not looking like a slump anymore, and he's, mm-hmm. he's coming on. So, Sage, w- what do the Blazers have to do to get a win against Utah? And, you know, the Blazers, I think, are like 2-6 and six against the division, and that's just not going to cut it if you want home court advantage. Yeah, these these games are so much more important than any other, just for uh, tiebreakers and stuff. You know, I was looking at the stats just now. And I, I was getting prepared to say, well, it's a pace down spot, and that's because the Jazz are a really good defensive team and they play slow. But could you believe that the Jazz are faster paced than the Blazers are now? That does surprise me. Yeah. I, so I guess there's a pace up spot for the Blazers. They're a very good defense. Um, Mitchell's usage rate is insane since Rubio's out. Like, it's him and Ingles are the two passers. So it's like all of the offense is generated from those two guys. Rudy Gobert has been absolutely killing it since Rubio's out. Like, yeah, his stats are crazy. He's playing really well. Like, yeah, he's taking advantage of people. And we know, like, Nurk has had problems with Rudy Gobert. Just like, I, I remember, I distinctly remember, uh, him picking up two fouls and sulking last year. And that, that, I mean, that will always be in my mind when I think of Rudy Gobert Nurk. So hopefully Nurk approaches this better because he could theoretically do really well against this team. Like after Gobert, there really isn't that many people that scare me. Favors is high variance. So I think really it's stopping Ingles and Mitchell is the, the, the way that we would potentially get this win. And it's in Salt Lake City though, right? Correct. That's t- that. That's where it's tough since we're such dog shit on the road. But you know, I I think I have to go the Jazz victory against the Blazers here. It, it's just until I see them perform really well on the road, I'm just gonna imagine that they don't play well on the road. But how are you feeling? Overall, I think the Blazers need to find a way to go three and one this week. Obviously, figure out a way to split one of these first two. To me, the X factor is going to be the second quarter. Traditionally, we play like hell in the second quarter. And you look at the Christmas night game, it was tied after the first. We dig ourselves a 12-point hole going into halftime. Portland has to figure out how to get their bench operating on the road in the second quarter. I don't think it's going five bench guys. I think CJ needs to lead the charge off the bench. Mm -hmm. I remember... Two years ago, he and Dame lit up the Jazz for like 63 combined points. There was also another game, I think, where Dame was out. And CJ just took over, was able to ISO, get into the paint, get to the free throw line, um, really make Utah's life miserable. 
So I think I need to see. I think if CJ has a big night, the Blazers are going to win. And mm-hmm. another th- thing to to kind of keep in mind is protecting not letting Utah protect the paint. Gobert had seven blocks on Christmas. The team had 10 total. Um, that was really closed out. I think Portland is going to have to attack outside, then go in. Mm-hmm. So if Portland's hot early on from three, I, I like their their chances. Um, I know we've lost by a combined like 51 points the past two, but I think the, the law of averages, as CJ McCollum likes to say, I think it evens out. Um, Portland's going to figure out a way to get this road victory. I think it's going to be tough. We've been close against teams from our division. We've lost by a combined four points against the Nuggets in two outings. Uh, CJ missed a potential game winner against the Thunder um, at home. And the Nuggets. Yes. So we've been close. Mm -hmm. And um, I I think Portland finds a way. Um, I I really do. I think it's going to be close. And then it brings us to the following night against the Oklahoma City Thunder, a team that just got an incredible road victory over the Philadelphia 76ers. Paul George had a four-point play to basically end the game. Um, this will be a back-to-back. You have to imagine... Away, away, back-to-back, too, which yeah. sucks. Those are like... Home and home is fine. Like You don't see a production drop-off, but when you see the real production drop-off is when you have to travel that night and then play the next game. That's going to be tough. So the Blazers really need to win the Jazz game. And you have to imagine that they're going to play their rotation players heavy minutes. You have to imagine it's going to be a close game, hopefully, um, against Utah. So the guys are going to be tired. To me, the X factor against the Oklahoma City Thunder is going to be production off of the bench. I, I think to beat teams on the road, like we mentioned, Damon Nurk have to do work. But who is going to be that that other player to step up and kind of lead this team uh, to victory? Portland swept OKC 4-0 last year. They even beat OKC and OKC without Damian Lillard uh, one time. We did lose to this team uh, about two weeks ago, 109-111. But Sage, this is not the, the same OKC team. They got handled pretty easily by the Lakers without LeBron James. Mm-hmm. Um, what do the Blazers have to do to get a victory? So, I'm looking at the good old NBA.com. Looks like the Thunder are the fourth place team in regards to pace. So, they're a very quick team, but very good defensively. Russell Westbrook has just been so dog shit in regards to shooting. But you see a bump up, and it's just because he's driving more. He hasn't driven the ball a lot. Like, he's gotten to the line six times a game, which for how athletic and good he is at driving... Seems like it's outrageously bad. Man, if if we could just bait him into thinking he's Damian Lillard, because for whatever reason, Russ gets in his feelings against us. I know mostly it's in the Rose Garden, but like, you know, it, it happens every time where he just imagines he's Damian Lillard. Just like incentivize him to shoot because he's so god awful at it. And if he's hitting, you know what? Salute him and go on to the next game. Uh, I think it's really just trying to get him to shoot. Paul George has been really good this year. Like, really good this year. So, I I, I think it's playing our pace, slowing it down a bit, and being really good executionally on offense. But what do you think? So, we were at this game together, and, you know, I kept looking at the, at the scoreboard, and Russ and Paul George... 
They combined for 68, but only shot 23 Mm -hmm. of of 51. So they were not efficient. But what kept them in the game were two aspects. Paul George went 12 of 14 at the line, and they got a nice bump from both Dennis Schroeder um, early on, then he kind of went to to hell. Shooter had like three straight buckets. Yeah, to kind of it was like, it, yeah, he looked like Stephon Marbury in his prime against us, bro. And Nerlens Noel basically Ed Davis to the fuck out of us. And shot <laughs> Didn't four, he hit four. a three on us or something, or a very no, long two? But he he had ten five and three steals and two Damn. blocks, and uh, that kind of sealed our night because mm-hmm. we did not get anything from Damon CJ. They shot thirteen of thirty. Um, I mean, it's a damn good defensive team. Oh, excuse me. They shot 11 of 34, so even worse. 11 of 34, that's under 33%. Uh, Nurk was 9 of 14. We did not get him the ball enough. He was able to move Steven Adams. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, that's the matchup. It's it's Dame, or excuse me, it's Nurk and it's Adams. If we actually make a conscious effort to run the pick and roll, to run the offense, through Nurk, like you said, let Russell shoot the deep twos. Let him shoot the threes. Keep the thunder off of the foul line. Um, call me crazy. Again, Portland's been really close in these divisional games. Um, I think they're going to find a way to get a victory. They match up extremely well against this thunder team. I wish we could go back to January 4th and replay that game because I think we kicked the shit out of them. Um, we need Chief to really play some lockdown defense against Paul George, mm-hmm. and we need again. Would you put Layman on, on the, Jeremy? Yeah, we 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 just need somebody on the bench to kind of have a good night, and you know the bench kind of came correct for us for a period of time. It was just that that like like we said, Jake went off against the the Pelicans and that was the difference well Schroeder and Noel went off in that third and fourth quarter and kind of extended that lead and we had to fight and you know claw our way back um as long as the bench doesn't give up a lead and kind of keeps the game where it needs to be um I think the Blazers are going to find a way to get a victory um I think they have to find a way to get one of these Mm, two one of those two is like a must one I'm gonna go wins on both just because I, I really think we need to get to get Nurk involved I don't think Adams is a nice player but the way Nurk's playing, they're they're not comparable in my opinion. Man, I think Jazz are more winnable than the Thunder. But since I already said loss for the Jazz, fuck man, I don't want to be a dick, but I I really don't see a win here just because of the the travel. That that travel shit is is rough on the body. So I'm I'm, I'm gonna say loss, man. Yeah. So Thursday, twenty fourth against the Phoenix Suns. Uh, don't get caught. Oh, this yeah, this this is a kind of a trap. I mean, Devin Booker has been running point for this team and is fucking killing it. I feel like we have trouble against ball dominant shooters or ball dominant scorers. Like, just think of Bradley Beal. I mean, there, there's a humongous list of examples, and you know, Devin Booker is just like that. He will shoot first and shoot a lot. DeAndre Ayton's been playing well. Um, TJ Warren's still pretty consistent, and then. It's a crapshoot with everybody else. So, I think this is a win, but yo, if we won both games, this is a trap game for sure. I mean, I think this is a must victory because who knows what happens against the Jazz and Thunder. You have to get this victory against the Suns. They've they've crept up on some teams this year. They've already beat Milwaukee in Milwaukee, um, and I think they, they stunned a playoff team. Oh, they beat the the Denver Nuggets um, just last week at, at home. So Portland has to be ready to play. So my X factor is focus. 
If you're focused and prepared to beat the Phoenix Suns, you will beat them. Mm-hmm. If you come into it like they did the Sacramento game, we're going to lose. I mean, that's the bottom line. You can talk about matchups all you want. This game and the next one against the Hawks is all about focus. Mm-hmm. So those are going to be my two two X factors. I think the Blazers will beat the Suns, and I do think we will beat the Hawks. Um, the Hawks just I don't are kind of like that that Knicks Bulls. Can I Hornets, take my shot here? Cavs. Type of team. With Nurk's great play, we haven't seen an explosive Damian Lillard game. Like he's consistently good. He's he's consistently good. What he had four? Didn't he have like? He killed the the Kings on Chris uh, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. Excuse me. Okay, take that one out. He hasn't been explosively great. Yo, the Hawks are the worst team at defending point guards. Trey Young doesn't give a fuck about defense. Dam's going for 45 plus. Does he need to go for 45 against the, to beat the Hawks, though? No, but I think he's just going to eat, 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 eat MCs for breakfast, lunch, and dinner against this awful defensive team. Trey Young can't stop anything. So he, I, I think Dame's going to go and be big that night. Atlanta's just so bad defensively and so fast. They're the fastest-paced team in the league, so that means extra possessions. You know Damian's taking some of those extra possessions in the game. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm all for it, as long as it gets us the dub. So you saying Hawks-Suns victories? Yeah, I think so. Okay, well, I've got 4-0, you've got 2-2. Two and two. I'm probably overconfident. You're no, probably I'm under. <laughs> no, I think you're you're at the right right temperature right now. I I just feel that Portland's got to be able to get one of those two. I don't know which one. I wish we were playing the Thunder first and mm-hmm. the Jazz second mm-hmm. because I think OKC is a better matchup. Um, and you're gonna have to put a lot of energy into that Utah game. And if you put a lot of energy and it doesn't result in a victory, then the schedule loss might come against OKC. But every team's playing playing road games. They're playing three and four nights back to backs. Portland is no different and um, they just have to travel more just have to travel more um but i think this this stretch is what you're going to see from the blazers i mean the schedule does not get any easier um heading up into the all-star break so portland has got to make make account especially against the division i mean I, I think we talked a lot about trades the future of the franchise where we're at right now uh i'm all out of words sage do you have anything else for the fans actually i do um I used to be, I used to do a lot of community events in Southern Oregon, and I know MLK Day is tomorrow. If you really want to be an ally, attend these events. These people work so hard at putting these awesome events together. I know my mom's doing it in Southern Oregon. I know a lot of people are working really hard to do, to pay homage to MLK. You know, go to them. And thank the people that organized it. It, yo, it's a lot of work. Like I remember, I used to do these things, and like I, I gave up days of the week to do the logistics for the shit. So like, thank them for their hard work because it, it is a pain in the ass to like think of every logistical thing for these events. So, um, enjoy your day off tomorrow. This podcast will be out on Monday, but if you have time and feel like you should. Check out some of these events. I know there's a lot out there. And, uh, you know, thank thank you for listening. Exactly. You know, like you mentioned, attend events, volunteer your time. I mean, that's what, you know, if you have an opportunity, that's kind of what Dr. King embodied. And 
I think that's what the, the, the day is for. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think tweeting is fine, but yo, go to these events and be there and show support by you actually physically being somewhere. It's it, it's a big deal, man. Like I flew down to Medford to help throw one of these things in the like in September, man. Like all these people are working extremely hard to pay homage to a great man. So do it. Be there. Be there. That's so important, man. You you can you can take those IG pics to show you're doing something, but just be there and attend these events, and it, it's to pay homage to a really great man, and then watch the Blazers game. But like, yo, be there. I'm right with you. I wish I had the day off. I would love to do some of that, but your boy's got to go to work. Hey man, and that's a valid excuse, man. But oh, I, I'm just saying. I'm just oh everyone, yeah. I'm jealous of everyone who's got that day off tomorrow. Shit, man. I have been. Like, I'm shocked that my nose hasn't been sprinkling snot. Like, I'm sick. I would go there, but I'm not trying to be an asshole. And, you know, I've done this shit. Like, I've, man, I've I've gone to these events. I'm proud to everyone that does these events every year, like my mother. So, shout out to all of you guys doing that. Shout out to the people that will attend these things. And uh, go Blazers, which is most important. Well, it's very important. <laughs> I probably can't, can't say it's the most. All right, Rip City, we'll talk to you next week. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go!